Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors, such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com. Hello, and welcome to the RIA Edge podcast. I'm Mark Bruno, Managing Director of the Wealth Management Group at Informa Connect, and I am very excited to get into our discussion here today around human capital and talent management, which is something that we've touched on in a number of RIA Edge episodes, but we haven't really done a true deep dive on. It does play a tremendous role in a firm's ability to grow, and I could not think of anyone better to talk about human capital management, talent acquisition, and what's going on in the world of talent in the RIA industry, then Martine Lellis, the Chief Talent and Administrative Officer at Mercer Advisors. Martine, thank you very much for joining us here today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Mark. I'm glad to be here. Wish we could be in person, but uh, this is uh, great nonetheless. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, we'll be doing the in-person in June at our main event, Wealth Management Edge and RIA Edge, and we're thrilled to have you on the agenda there. Like I said, I've known you for a long time. We've done some sessions together in person, virtually. And I think your view of the role that talent plays within an RIA firm is really unique. And I think you have a lot of insight that our audience will really value here today. But before we jump into what's going on in the industry more broadly and offering up some thoughts and best practices for recruiting and developing talent, if you don't mind, we haven't officially reconnected in your new role or relatively new role at Mercer. Would you mind just talking a little bit about what you do as the chief talent and administrative officer at Mercer? Yeah, I would say it's a pretty broad role. You know, I think when Dave Welling and I connected about the role, we sort of looked at what Mercer needed in this role and and the way that Mercer was growing so rapidly and the talent that was coming on board so quickly, there were there were just some certain processes that needed to be brought into place inside the organization. So overseeing the human resources department was part of that and putting some really key processes in place around compensation management, performance management, employee engagement. And, and we'll get into some of that in our conversation today. But just as the organization grows, you know, the talent needs uh, these types of processes to to understand what their career pathing and, and growth prospects are going to be. And you need to have solid onboarding processes as people are coming into the organization and just managing the culture as the organization grows through talent acquisition, both organic and also the inorganic through the MA um, activity that we're seeing as the space is consolidating so rapidly. So uh, that's a lot of what I focus on. I partner with our managing directors that oversee our regions across the country and really try to control and and help them, you know, deal with the talent issues that they're facing as we bring all of this wonderful talent together. Yeah, and I appreciate the overview and the good st- the starting point cuz I'll be honest, I have a million questions I want to ask you. Um and <laughs> you, you have such a broad view into the industry, not just because Mercer's been 
you know, one of the most active or potentially the most active acquirer, depending on the time period. But, you know, I know that you're looking broadly, you know, outside of the organization at talent on a, a daily basis. So I am curious to maybe just start out talking about the landscape. Um, we've heard a lot about how competitive the ta- the war for talent is in the RIA space right now. But I'm curious, I mean, how would you describe the competition and the demand for talent? And what are some of the driving forces? Well, if I had to say in one word, I mean, it's fierce. I think we've had a market that is growing so rapidly. The markets in general have uh, experienced just rapid growth, which means clients um, have been demanding uh, solid advice, especially in the RA industry. It's becoming the model of choice out there for our business. So the rising markets is, is still uh, continuing to prop up the demand from the client side which leads to the demand on the talent side for us to serve those clients. And I mean, you're hearing a lot of news about the great resignation that's occurring in general, but I think we see that happening more in the service industries, not so much in ours, not so much in the professional um, industry. And we have been able to move to a very flexible format of working very quickly during this pandemic time which allows for, I think, great opportunities for talent. There's a lot of opportunities for multitudes of professionals to work in this space. And as the space consolidates, there's more uh, jobs out there for more than just advisors and client service professionals. We have jobs for technology professionals as well and operational professionals. And so it's a very attractive place to work, but there's a shortage of talent that is sort of groomed to come into this space. So those two things combined really lead to this demand, supply demand issue that we're kind of facing. And so it's very competitive out there. And um, I think we're all, we're all feeling that I think every single day as we're sort of fighting for how we access that. So when you look at maybe not the sort of quote home office for Mercer, uh, but if you look at all the different advisors and the the businesses that make up Mercer, what are some of the types of roles that people are looking to hire most right now and why? Well, we certainly need more advisors because again, the growing client demands for our services is not slowing down. Um, But with that comes the need for the support people as well. Uh, and as you figure out how to efficiently work inside the business that you're building, you need to continue to invest in the infrastructure. Um, so again, those other roles that I talked about, those core roles inside the infrastructure, there, there's demand for those as well. So people that can build out the technology. Um, you need people that could focus on cybersecurity practices to keep the client information safe. That's becoming an ever-expanding issue with more fraud happening uh, in this space as well. So we definitely are seeing an increase in needing to hire at, I think, all levels within the organization, advisors, client support, financial planners. And then because our business serves in the areas of estate planning and tax, we need those professionals because we're full service. We provide those family office types of services. So making sure that we can continue to reach that demand. We're, we're hiring literally in every single department that we have across the organization right now. 
Mm, that's, it's amazing, really. And you know, I'm not surprised to hear that there is more than one answer <laughs> to that question. You know, right before we got on here, I was actually going through some of the preliminary findings of the RI Edge study that we're launching in March. Um, and the typical firm right, grew has grown by, I believe it's about 60, 65% since 2016, right? That's the typical firm that participated in the study. So now that they have, whether it's more clients, more assets, and in most cases, it's obviously both, they have an opportunity and a need to reinvest in the business. And they're all looking at you know, adding positions. I would ask, it does almost feel like it's a little bit of a zero-sum game. If I'm running an RIA and I have to hire a lead advisor, I'm going to another RIA, right? <laughs> um, and it doesn't feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I would love to get your take on this, it doesn't feel like there's a tremendous infusion of new talent. And certainly not you know, at the rate to keep up with demand. But curious, what's your take on that? And if you've seen you know, really good talent pools emerging, where are they coming from? Well, I think one thing you have to be doing is looking at how you're growing your talent from within. So that's what we have been really focused on. And because we're growing so rapidly, it's providing clear, fast growth opportunities for our current talent. And you have to make sure that you're, you're developing your current talent, you're training them, and you're giving them the opportunities. It's given our talent really fast tracks to becoming advisors and to starting to work with clients very quickly. And we can give them the tools and the, and the experience that they need to get in front of clients um, at a very rapid pace. So I, I will say that if you're not doing that first, um, you're going to be you're going to be short on trying to figure out how do you how do you get there and how do you you retain your talent and how do you make sure that you have the number of advisors that you need to meet kind of the demands of your clients. But your question was a little more focused on you know how do you how do you find the talent from the outside and that is tough because you're right you know you're going to be looking to seek out the advisors from other organizations and that's a tough one because yeah. it's competitive and and looking to poach from the other organizations um you have to be able to sell something to that talent that is better than where they're at and how do you make a competitive case is is uh difficult but we focus on what we can give and and growth is a huge i think selling point the ability to sort of win in our environment, be able to have flexibility is key. And, and, and with the next generation talent, they, they want that flexibility. They want access to opportunities. They want to be able to focus on their clients too. They don't want the distractions of administrative burdens and other areas that maybe they've had to focus on in other um, firms. So we can create that within our organization. And when when organizations can kind of set them up for success around strong career pathing, I think that works quite well. And I think you mentioned, you know, just in the first part of your answer, how important it is to help people grow, right. And have a clear path. Um, I would love to spend a couple of minutes on that, right. There's so much emphasis that's placed on recruiting and finding talent. Um, but there isn't necessarily as much discussion around, ways that you can onboard them, right? And I know you've talked about also just the talent management lifecycle. There's a, a real process here. Um, and it's interesting when you look at the RIA industry, there's you know, 37,000 firms, right? Probably, you know, give or take, you know, 10 or 11,000 that are 
you know, pure in our space here, but they're largely small businesses, right? That don't have HR um, and don't processes or strategies for managing human capital. So would you mind taking a minute and sharing just some of your approach and some of your process and recognizing that most people on the line here are not large firms, right? They're managing maybe 10 people um, within the organization. What can they do to put a process in place to make sure that they're developing and properly managing their talent? Yeah, Mark, I think that's a great question. And and I can relate. I've been in this industry for 20 years and and, and grown through an RAA that's been growing at various stages through its path. So I wasn't always in, you know, one of the, the largest uh, firms in the industry. So I can sort of um, understand what it's like to be wearing many hats within an organization. And, you know, when I was a chief operating officer at a, at a prior firm, I would say probably 60% of my um, time was spent in the human resources area. And you kind of had to figure it out. But it doesn't mean that you can't still put in kind of a talent, what I call a talent management life cycle. And the key areas that I think are probably number one would be sort of a career pathing process. And even if you only have, you know, one or two kind of key people, you still have to be thinking about how do you continue to give them opportunities to continue to learn and grow? And that means making sure that there's a pathway to continue to have them progress along a career path that gives them opportunities to take on more responsibilities, to have promotions, to move into new roles within the organizations and continue in the organization and continue to expand their duties as they're performing and learning your processes. So even if you're small, you can still put this into place. And a a good example is, do you have an associate financial planner and then a financial planner, and then they can move into becoming more of an associate wealth advisor, for example, and up to a wealth advisor. And what does that pathway look like as the organization is growing adding clients and you need them to take on more responsibility, they're moving from a technician into the consulting role where they're actually giving the advice to the client. And I think every organization can take the time to scope out what those roles and responsibilities look like. The rest of that talent management life cycle adds things like learning and development programs. How do you get your talent access to the things that they need to perform in their role, the performance management process. How often are you evaluating your talent, giving them strong feedback, making sure that you're telling them what they're doing well in their role, where do they need to improve? Recognition programs. I mean, even if you're a small RIA, there's still ways to make sure that you're engaging your employees and giving them forms of recognition. It doesn't necessarily have to be all monetary, but it can be small tokens of appreciation, you know, a star performer award, something that's done quarterly to recognize people within your organization that are really lifting up the team and contributing. Making sure that you have a formal compensation review process. I can't stress how Mm. critical this is. Compensation is so competitive right now and also making sure that your employees understand all the components that go into the compensation that they're receiving. There's so much focus on 
the base salary and the base salary only. But compensation takes into account base salary, incentives that you're providing, maybe equity if you have an equity program inside your company, and also your benefits. And I had a good question the other day by someone that said, Martine, are your benefits objectively competitive? And that's something that you should be able to show somebody. Yes, they are, because we've compared them against industry standards or what's happening inside of our industry. And we can say that our benefits look really good compared to what everybody else is providing. So you should be able to substantiate that you are providing objectively competitive compensation and benefits. And then I would say you need to be looking at how you are engaging all of your employees. You can do employee engagement surveys like Gallup, for example, and take a pulse and make sure that you're looking at how engaged your employees are. Engaged employees are going to row that boat in the same direction and make sure that they are pulling you along and they're your champions that are moving the workforce in the right direction. And they're going to be aligned with you and moving that organization. If you have detractors within your organization, they're actually going to be working against you. And that's where you want to take a stronger look at, do I really need this person? Even if they're a top performer, they may be working against the organization and it may not be healthy. Yeah. And I think what you've just described is something that is very new and different in the RIA industry. And it's sort of the byproduct of the growth, right? You have firms like Mercer that are very, very mature and established. Um, so it's amazing to hear the process and also just the thought behind it. Um, it actually kind of reminds me of an experience I had not too long ago. I won't name the company, but it was a very large asset manager, um, very traditional, right? And I had a meeting, went to the office and the person that came out to greet me was wearing you know, camouflage, cargo pants, denim shirt, and had sort of a mohawk type of hairdo, right? To go with the Chuck Taylors. And it was very jarring. It was not what I was expecting um, and not what I had experienced in previous meetings. And it's the marketing department. So we went back and they were all at a whiteboard dressed similar way, right? And it was four o'clock on a Tuesday and they're drinking beer and kind of asked the question like, what's going on here? This is not you know, the company that I remember. And very quickly, they're their response was, you know, we're not competing against other asset managers for talent. We're competing against you know, Google and Amazon and Apple. And that's how we had to think about marketing and technology. So sort of a, a little bit of an anecdote and a way to introduce a question that I have for you is, are, who do you view Mercer as competing against? Are you competing against other RIAs for talent um, or what other types of companies do you view yourselves as competing against? Yeah, that's a great question. I definitely think that we are mostly competing against the other large RAAs mm -hmm. um, that exist in the industry and, and, and also some of the small RAAs um, as well. Um, but that's because we're so geographically dispersed um, and across the whole country. Um, but that's also one of the beauties that, that we have is that we are so geographically dispersed, we can hire anywhere. Um, our access to talent is, it, it allows us to be heavily competitive because we can really start to hire in just about every geographic market. But, I, but we are, we're competing against the other mm -hmm. REAs. 
We do have a, a, a really strong core operations team and technology group as well. So we do have to compete in the technology space. You know, that's certainly what we have to look at there as well. But mostly I would say it's within the RIA space. Yeah, no, that's good to know. It'll be interesting to see too. I know that there are a lot of companies that have emphasized the you know, marketing and particularly you know, digital marketing over the last couple of years in ways that they hadn't before, right? So it'll be interesting to see the talent pools that you know we draw on there. Uh, but I did want right. to specific. I wanted to specifically come back to you mentioned you know next gen and G two talent a bit, and I think it's important for us to all get an understanding and some perspective from you about what goes on you know, inside the mind of a next gen advisor. Um, and I asked the question also because that's another research project that we're working on. Uh, we don't have any data to share yet, um, but we will be going sort of inside the mind of a next gen advisor to determine or understand what's important to them, what do they value, um, and why did they choose a career path in this industry? So if you don't mind, could you give an overview of you know, what you think is important to next gen and also how you could be successful in not only recruiting, but retaining next gen talent? Yeah, Mark, I, I wish I knew the key answer. <laughs> like, I think, I think I'm always trying to figure that out, right? I mean, it's important to get into the minds of our, of our people and of our talent. And that's a key part of my job. I do a lot of field visits. I'm spending a lot of time in the offices talking to people because it is critical, right? It is the future of our industry is to understand what's important to our next generation. I definitely see flexibility being a key principle that everyone is embracing. I certainly think the pandemic really sped up sort of the process um, of everyone embracing the ability to work from home, have flexibility to our schedule. And it made companies more trusting. Uh, I think prior to this, I think there was a lot of uncertainty around what it would look like to be in a more sort of flexible work environment. And then all of a sudden we went to, we went to our homes, we were forced to our homes and we had two of our best years ever being in a, in a forced work from home environment. So it shows that it can be done. And now you, you have everyone asking, well, what's going to happen next? And I think people have really embraced being at home and that next generation, I think, loves it even more. They have families. They want to be around their families. They have pets. They want to be around their pets. They want the flexibility to sort of be able to control their schedules. So I've definitely seen that be a, a factor that is really, you know, valued a lot. And, um, and certainly, you know, compensation is on the minds of everyone. There's that old adage, you give someone a raise and, and the next minute they think they're 10% underpaid. And, um, and it's, it's certainly something that they're aware of and, and they, they know that it's a competitive industry. They're getting calls from recruiters every day. We're not uh, blind to that fact. So they want to know what is the next progression for them and how they can keep moving along in, in the industry and also within the company. So they can see the competitive environment that's, that's happening. So um, I think making sure that there's upward mobility for that next generation talent is important um, is, is something that I see as well. So they want to be able to provide for their families. Um, Sure. Those are some of the key things, but I haven't quite figured out the the perfect uh, solution and equation for them. So I'm, I'm interested in reading your study when you figure yeah. that out. 
No, me too. And I, I, I'm curious. I think the part that you mentioned around compensation, and then the part that you mentioned around your know, career path, um, you know, at least in my personal experience, has been very, very true. They want to know that there is a next step. Um, they're not asking for guarantees, right? But they want to know what is the progression, right? And what it, what will it take to get there? Which I think is reasonable. Um, and for people who are from a different generation, it may come across as presumptuous, <laughs> presumptuous, but it it's not. Um, it's just part of being transparent. But when it comes to compensation, my sense, and I'm curious what your curious what your experience is. My sense is that they want fair compensation, but I I don't get that they're necessarily motivated by compensation. Um, a lot of the next gen advisors that I've talked to are actually motivated to really help people. Um, it's very strange, right? So if you look at people who got into this business 20 or 30 years ago, they were motivated by income, right? And the compensation potential. Now I feel like there are a lot of people getting in because they're truly motivated to help people with you know, their finances, right? And help them get through the various sort of milestones, challenges, and you know all the different things that you know, individuals are faced with. But I'm curious, I mean, what are you finding is motivating the next generation of advisors? Well, I certainly hope that that's true. I mean, that's why I'm in the industry. I mean, I'm certainly motivated to help grow a business, provide for people, create jobs. I mean, I have I have sort of a calling for this this business. And I I agree with you that I think that a lot of people that are in the advisory space have a calling to help the clients. And we always say, you know, that we we want to be there for our clients and we want to be there for our employees and we should be putting both of those um, first. So, but, so that, that is, uh, I think a really good point that I, I do see a lot of people very committed to the client experience, making sure that they are putting their clients first. And, and obviously our fiduciary duty to our clients is, is paramount, but, you know, kind of back to your question, like what's motivating to them. I mean, I definitely see there, there's still a focus on compensation and that's always fine. Yeah. The funniest thing is that, um, advisors are great at calculating everything for their clients, but then when you ha- have them calculate their total compensation, sometimes that's a challenging thing and oh, we have to kind of <laughs> lay it out for them. <laughs> so, so that's, that's, I always find that to be a, to be a, a funny part of the process. So we really have to kind of spell that out and make sure they, they fully understand that. And that's not a, that's not a knock on anybody at all, but it's just, it's just a reality that sometimes we have to face to really show them how they're progressing. And again, like I say, I think the the ability to progress is something that they value very much. They want to feel value and being able to show that value. I think the other challenge we're having, Mark, is that because growth is so fast in this industry, there's a lot of people that are being moved up quickly into managerial responsibility that don't have traditional managerial training. And inside of the smaller organizations in particular, it's not a traditional organization where there's a lot of learning and development training programs or managerial training programs. So you're seeing a lot of people sort of thrust into positions where they have to manage people, but don't have the formal training programs to understand how to manage people. And that's something that I think our whole industry is facing. How do you, you know, manage um, your support people manage a group of advisors. And there's a lot of advisors that came into this industry that simply wanted to be advisors and not run an actual, you know, organization. Mm-hmm. And suddenly their organizations have grown. 
And so I think that's another area that that this industry is kind of facing where we have just this sort of lack of formal training and design around people management. So that I think sometimes is is something that we face in um, how do we keep progressing people along and and really give good feedback and, and give people good, all these sort of things that we're talking about in these formalized, more formalized programs is part of sort of good people management and talent management. Yeah. And that's why we wanted to have you on our edge here today, right? To give people a way to think about it if they're not thinking about it, at least in some sort of formal way right now. And, and before we let you run, I, I do think we should spend a minute or two talking about your m a strategy, obviously Immerser being one of the most active acquirers over the last several years in this space, you know, at a time when we've seen just year after year of record level m a activity. I'm curious to ask you, what role does talent acquisition play in Mercer's overall M&A strategy? Yeah, great, great question, Mark. I mean, right now, we are at about sort of a 50-50 level for 50% of our talent is coming from organic hires and 50% of our talent is coming in through the M&A transactions that we're doing. And this is really highly valuable to us because we get to balance out how we utilize the talent that we hire with what talents need with what talent needs we need to go to the open market for or the talent that we're acquiring with what talent needs we need to go to the open market for you know so for example we'll we'll purchase a company and we get great talent that are in sort of the operational areas and as we integrate because we're an integrator i think as you know we're not an aggregator mm-hmm. so we integrate the ta- with the acquisitions that we bring in, which means we put them on all of our systems and we're, we're you know, putting them on over time and we get great operational talent and the ability for us to then interview that talent, understand what, what skills they have and then redeploy them into um, other areas within Mercer is critical. They're highly skilled, they're trained, they understand the RAA business and now with us being a national organization and being able to have the flexibility to work from anywhere, we don't have to move them to say some sort of centralized operations center. So that's really allowed us to um, have a great strategy around you know, being able to utilize the talent efficiently from the acquired firms that we are bringing in. And I think it gives a lot of the acquired firms some safety and security that that we have a real clear process for how we do talent mapping as they're coming in. We really do do, a, I think, a good job of evaluating the talent for where are the best seats on the bus um, inside of the Mercer organization. So uh, I'm proud of that process. And I, I think it's been it's been really fantastic for us. Yeah, I yeah, I feel like in every conversation we've had here on this podcast and also in some of the RIA Edge workshops we've done recent, recently, someone says it's easier to acquire talent than it is to hire talent right now. Um, and I think that that's a really succinct and accurate assessment <laughs> of what's going on in the landscape. It may not always be true, um, but it is a nice way to sort of summarize the state of the state. Um, it's also interesting because when you think about M&A, you've heard for years that you know, it's really driven by the need for succession planning or exit planning. But in a lot of cases, you have firms that you know, the founder is looking for you know, a really good opportunity for G2, right? When he or she steps down, they want to make sure the employees who help build the firm 
have someplace else to go, right? Um, with, in, with the next step of their career. Um, and firms like Mercer are obviously looking for great talent too. So it's another you know, motivator of a lot of the M&A activity, but it just doesn't get the same level of attention. So thank you for you know, sharing your thoughts here today, Martin. I think we've covered a tremendous amount of ground and I really appreciate your thoughts and your insight just around human capital, talent management, and also the perspective on talent that you and the Mercer team have. Appreciate it. It's a pleasure talking with you. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to seeing everyone in person soon. I like when people say that. That makes me happy. So thank you again, Martin, for joining us here today. We really do appreciate it. And thank you to everybody for joining the RAA Edge podcast. I'm Mark Bruno. And on behalf of the wealth management team here at Informa Connect, we look forward to having you all back on another episode of the RIA Edge podcast soon. Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business, and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com.